The OneOuter.com podcast is now proudly sponsored by William Hill Poker. We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use OneOuter as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including OneOuter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill Poker account today and use OneOuter as your promotional code. And the password for the tournaments is Ginger. G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill Poker client, just click on Tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for Tournament. Enter OneOuter and you will find the OneOuter monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome to the third episode of the new OneOuter.com podcast, uh, which we're calling Ask Alex with my co-host Alex Fitzgerald, Assassinato Online. Welcome back, Alex. Hey, Barry. Thanks for having me. What, what do you think about calling the show Ask Ass? You know, I think, I think we tested that uh, on the market and it was a definite no-no. No? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I, don't, I don't pay attention. Ask Ass. It was, it was getting blocked by too many uh, parental... Oh, good point. <laughs> good point. That's a really good point. Okay, good point. All right, just as a joke between my friends then. Sorry, go continue introducing okay. the show. Yeah, so, uh, well, the first bit of business we should talk about is uh, after the last episode, Alex is now a married man. Uh, so congratulations from myself and I'm sure on behalf of all the listeners, Alex. Um, what's it feel like to, you know, finally be uh, a one-woman guy? Oh, thank you, sir. Well, I, I've been a one-woman guy for three years, so I guess it's not that much different. But it, it feels pretty amazing. Uh, every Everything came together life-wise right around that time before there was lots of problems with the house I was living in just it was started it was a, the third house in a row that just was falling apart for you know it was a very nice house when we moved in but uh or when I moved in more rather she was she was living with her parents but you know they're quite often and working nearby me but yeah and the house wasn't doing that well but we moved uh, we moved into a new house. I'm really happy to say, and it's just amazing. It's up in the hills, and you know you can hear the birds chirping in the morning. The air is really fresh, and yeah, the wedding went off really well, even though the weather was supposed to be bad that day, and it was an outdoor wedding. And then, if it wasn't going to be bad, it was sweltering. It was going to be sweltering hot, and I was wearing a suit for 
I think the second time in my life, but it right. was, you know, the temperature was as perfect. Everything went off great. And yeah, I'm very happy right now. Aren't you supposed it's, to say good game when I get married? Cause that's what everybody's been saying to me. Well, I said that on the Facebook comments. All ah, right. Uh, there you go. Like there you go. Nice hand. Yeah. Good game. You know, that's <laughs> it. It's like you're finished. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's done. It's done. Well, it's quite funny. I saw on your uh, Facebook uh, the other day at the weekend, you seemed to have a little bit of a heater at the weekend. You took down, uh, I think it was a uh, 20K guaranteed on party, 109 one. And I think something else, I can't remember. I, I saw bits and pieces of the feed and you said you were going to, you know, keep playing. It was like the post-marriage heater. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, it, what, what happened at the weekend? I took uh, I took down uh, 109 10K guaranteed on party. I took down, then the next day I took down the 109 20K guaranteed on party. It was on a Sunday. It was actually kind of a Sunday saver, uh, the 109 uh, 10K guaranteed on Sunday. But then I was fortunate enough to final table to 50 multi-entry. One of my favorite tournaments on full tilt. Just, uh, I love having multiple entries and getting deep in that tournament because many regs multi-reg it and then pay no attention to it but just being very paranoid as i am and always reading the statistics i tend to pick up when they're just you know bet folding on certain flops and whatnot and yeah i almost got to merge chip lead stacks with 40 left but i ran kings and aces which sucks but i got to the final table and three-handed i had a pretty massive chip lead but i've lost ace queen ace nine uh ace 10 to king 10 but I, at one point i ran you know i got pretty down i ran eights through kings and you know i was short so it was nice it was a nice score and then yeah I shipped the two 109s final table that 50 cubed and then yesterday i played sunday played monday and i normally don't play three days in a row unless things are going really well but i was you know, things are going really well. I want to play the Super Tuesday, which in the Super Tuesday is getting really big lately. So <laughs> I really wanted to yeah. play it. Yeah, it's like 100K for first where it was only I, I, I feel like it was only six months ago. It was only like 60K for first. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I was going to say that. Do you think that's more people satelliting in or do you think it's just more and more uh, pros like looking to, you know, take shots in, game, in a game like that? I mean, it's not really the sort of tournament that you would, you know, people would looks great to take a shot in, you know, for like a 1K buy-in online. I, I, I have no idea, to be perfectly honest with you. The one thought that came to my mind is maybe some guys have relocated ahead of time for a scoop, and they're just playing the 1K. But there's a bunch of people mm. at my table I've never seen before, and there's a bunch of Russian players I've never seen before. Maybe some sports book is shooting people over to poker stars. I, I have no idea to be perfectly yeah. honest but yeah just seeing the prize pools and stuff i registered for everything and yeah i i got close to a few final tables didn't make it work yesterday but yeah it's been a pretty unearthly run for the last mm -hmm. few days after getting married so yeah that's it that's been nice well, that, well that's good because there's sort of a famous thing in the uk um about among sportsmen and stuff like once they get married their careers just drastically go downhill <laughs> it's like uh, Steve Davis was like the greatest snooker player and seemingly when he got married he never won another world title you know after really? the Whoa. and like uh, they say Stephen Henry when he got married his games he did he was never the player again but you've obviously just you know disproved that with poker by uh, yeah, having well, a great heater there <laughs> in, the, in the initial three days but it, maybe yeah. maybe I mean a lot of those I, I was thinking if it was with like 
football or American football or something like that. There might be a testosterone thing involved when a guy feels like, oh, I'm available and blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's up a little more. And when he feels like, okay, now I'm yeah. with this one person, maybe it shuts down. But yeah, with snooker, you would think that would be a game that would reward calm thinking. But, uh-huh. but any, anyway, yeah, just me going off. What do we got to talk about today, Barry? Well, just just again on, on touching on the marriage, you know, it is a big deal and stuff. Like, how do you think, you know, like now that part, I mean, as you say, you've been settled for like three years anyway. So uh, I think guys look at it more like, you know, I think the girls are more, it's like such a, you know, they've thought about it all their lives. Guys are like, it's a formality that my friends are waiting to get married on Saturday in Scotland here. But how much do you think that that'll just sort of like help you be centered, you know, with poker in your life and stuff as you sort of continue you know on your path and like like building up and stuff right well i think uh you know there was a time i i was on the tour and i had different priorities but there there's i think that many people spend way too much time on this subject of finding people and whatever are with guys just you know trying to get laid that and, you know, okay, we're going to go out to do that. We're going to have to get drunk uh, for me to be able to talk to this girl. And then the next day, I'm not going to – I'm not good to play poker that night. I'm not good, good to play poker that next day, which if you want to live your life that way, that's fine. But I, I think there's actually a very – if you want to look at it in terms of EV, there's a huge bonus to being married in that – you know, if this is someone you really care about and love and this part of your life is locked up, this is a part of your life that no longer is going to cause you stress, no longer is going to, I mean, unless it becomes a stressful marriage, but God forbid that's what happens. I mean, there's always, yeah. there's always problems, but it, when I talk to so many of my friends and it, it's just constantly one relationship to the next and it's all, in a lot of people, if they were like Gus Hansen, you know, and they were just you know, single and got to do whatever they want, perhaps that has no effect on their life. And perhaps that, you know, that's something that makes them pursue the tour harder. But yeah. if you're most people I know who are single and claim to be loving it seem to be torn between different people all the time and going through dramatic crap all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, that's fine. And, you know, there's it, I don't know. It's just one of those things I've never I, I haven't, a lot of people are, wow, you're 25, you're so young, don't you want to hang out a little more and meet more people? And I'm like, no, I, I'm good. I've, uh, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm very happy right now and I'm really happy that what I get to work on every day is studying something related to my job or just studying something for fun that's not going out to meet new people that I don't really care about or dealing with some psycho calling me and driving me nuts or something along those lines. But anyway, very, yeah, a very awkward answer. My wife is in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. I can actually hear the birds that you were on about. Like, yeah, you can hear away. them. Yeah, I love, yes. I love those birds. This one bird takes a crap on my wife's uh, rear view mirrors. I mean, not rear view mirrors, uh, side mirrors on her car all the uh-huh. time. But other than that, yeah, it's really nice. There's a parrot next door, too. And uh, I didn't know there was a parrot till like the fourth day. And then she started screaming, Upe Pablo, which is like street Costa Rican. It's not like street Costa Rican, but it's very slang Costa Rican for like, hey, you there, Pablo? 
when somebody's like outside your house. And I'm, I was about ready to run outside my house and go, there's no effing Pablo who lives here anymore. <laughs> but then I realized it was a parrot and then I felt really stupid. But yeah, that was six, All right. that was six in the morning. That's the only downside of living semi in the jungle in Costa Rica. But everything else, yeah, is amazing. The birds, the air the sun all that is amazing yeah it sounds good it sounds very chill um so just a little bits of business um if you make sure you follow at oneouter.com on twitter that's at o-n-e-o-u-t-e-r-d-o-t-c-o-m and you can follow alex on twitter which is at the assassinato that's t-h-e-a-s-s-a-s-s-i-n-a-t-o and check out Alex's site, PokerHeadRush.com. And he's also available for coaching at AssassinatoCoaching at gmail.com. Um, recently, I had uh, Jared Tendler on the podcast, and we talked about his new book and the mindset uh, and staying in the zone and all that good mental game stuff. So uh, be sure to check out that on the site. And also, um, I've been getting lots of, especially since me and Alex started doing this regular podcast, I've been getting lots of tweets from like young guys saying like, you know, how do they start like with no money and, you know, are the games this and that and they they literally don't have, you know, the $100 to deposit or, you know, $500. So my friend actually created a little like widget that updates with a free roll tournaments across all the sites. So I've put that on oneouter.com and it's on the right hand side and it's also at the top right of the page in the free roll section so if you click that you can see like a, a total like crazy number of free rolls across different sites that you can play for obviously zero money invested you don't even have to deposit um and you maybe take something down you know there's real money up for grabs there uh so i was just thinking about that alex is there anything like way back in the day did you ever try free rolls or you know i know your story you stuck 50 dollars in and stuff but did you ever play free rolls? It's not something like I, I've ever done, apart from like a few live free rolls I've been in. No, I, I think they're a really good way to build a bankroll if you don't really have one. My, uh, my roommate uh, back when I was 7, 18, he, uh, he played the free roll every night back then on full tilt. And I, I mean, he was at the final table almost every other day just because it seemed like nobody else took it seriously. And, you know, we were broken in high school. So, you know, $20 or whatever it was, was a lot to us. And yeah, it seems Annette Obrestad built her bankroll from free rolls. And obviously she plays any 10K on earth right now. So it definitely yeah. can be a great stepping stone if that's, uh, if you don't have another financial means to get online. Yeah, I saw that Chris Ferguson did something like years ago on Full Tilt when it was a good site and stuff. He sort of went on there, started with zero and did the zero to 10K challenge and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely doable if you're, as you say, I mean, I can't imagine the play is going to be uh, anything uh, resembling, you know, like poker or no, stuff. So no. yeah. if you just, just just play aces and kings, you know, tight and just just take the free money, basically. So if, you know, a lot of young guys were tweeting me and stuff like that. So check out the free roll section on oneouter.com and, uh, register for some free rolls and good luck. And if you win anything, uh, you know, tweet me and let me know how you got on. Um, so we're going to deal with uh, questions today uh, as it's Ask Alex and it seems to be really popular. I keep getting more and more uh, people contacting me with questions. So I'm just going to have a look here and see if we can sort of 
go through a natural order. Um, okay, this is a good one to start with. Uh, it's from Frederick J on Twitter, and he is speaking about what adjustments to make uh, for playing online as opposed to live events. I assume tight is no longer. Uh, I assume playing tight no longer cuts it. Mm, uh, for live events versus online, that was the question. Uh, for online versus live, he's he's obviously a live player looking to play more online. Uh, yeah, you do have to up the aggression a little more online, uh, because everybody else is upping the aggression. You're not just gonna get as many pots. There is kind of an embarrassment factor live that you can take advantage of. People don't want to look really dumb by calling off all their chips with king eight suited or something along those lines, and that's just yeah. that just doesn't happen in online people are ready to go with it but there's also there's certain uh in live you almost have to be a little more flexible because there's not as many concrete rules that the players go by uh be you know one guy comes in to play for fun another guy plays one two once in a while another guy plays one two for a living another guy used to be a tournament player but if this guy's in the united states there's a lot of guys that used to be tournament players, but now play live to make any money. Uh, so you, you kind of have more of a mixed bag. So there's a lot of things you can't do all the time live that might actually work a lot more online. One example that comes to mind is perhaps opening on... When all the stacks are rejam stacks, uh, everybody... If you have five guys behind you that have rejam stacks you obviously can't open because they're much more prone to shove with six seven suited online but if you only have one guy in the big blind uh blind versus blind and he has something along 17 big blinds they live if you open there the guy might just flat you which actually isn't that bad of a move because uh I mean, it's not really a great move either, but if you're opening too much from the small blind, he should be calling with a really wide range from the big blind, even though, you know, going from 17 big blinds to 15 big blinds isn't great for your stack and your functionality within the tournament. It's a better idea than what many online players do, which is, hey, I've been seeing in tournament videos in 2000, since 2006 that if I have less than 20 big blinds, I need to shove or fold. So... In that case, and sorry, maybe you just heard somebody honking <laughs> outside. Yeah, and it's skid. Yeah, I yeah. Heard the skid. Well. <laughs> the skid. Yeah, yeah. And the, they did finally you... tracked you down, Alex. Yeah, they found me. They found me. This is. And then, uh, man, then my dog's yelling at him. Hold on, let me. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's anybody for me. Are we expecting anyone, honey? Oh, it's for the neighbor. Never mind. Anyway, I'm going to keep that in. It's quite cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, the weird thing in like Costa Rica is like, oh, it is somebody from my house. But uh, what my wife is running to handle it. Who is this? The weird thing in Costa Rica is that they don't have like official addresses. It's not like uh, it, it's not like in the United States or Britain or where it's like, you know, you go to this street, you go to this house, and it's this apartment number. It'll be like an official address here will be like, take a right turn at the place where there used to be a church 20 years ago and <laughs> stuff like that. Who was that? Oh, somebody trying to deliver mail to somebody who used to be here. But uh, oh. but yeah, but yeah, the, 
my dog's not having any of this, man. But like, yeah. So like, if you order a taxi, that they'll get like the general area, but the they'll be like, you know, they won't know for sure. So if it's like three in the morning, you called a taxi for uh, going to the airport, they'll just honk the horn in your neighborhood, like, hey, anybody order an effing taxi? Let's get, <laughs> yo, get out of here, get out of here, and all your neighbors hate you. But anyway, uh, going back to the topic at hand. So that's actually a really profitable spot to open from the small blind in uh, in uh, in online tournaments because a lot of people hold on to I, I can't call here so I need to shove or fold. So if you're risking 2.5x from the small blind, you're actually only min raising it because that half big blind was already out there. So you're making it 2x to win 4.5x something close to that. So your bet needs to work 46% of the time, which means if your opponent is not jamming 54% of the hands, you make money race folding with Pokemon cards. But the thing is on online tournaments, people feel like I need to jam or fold and I cannot, you know, and even if their range goes down to six, four suited and hands like that, they're going to be folding 66% of the time when you needed 46% of the time. So you have a nice, profit margin there that's not something that's as applicable in live tournaments when i try to pull this off in live tournaments i just get flatted by the one two guy because he kind of understands it's only 2x i don't need much of a hand to call here or maybe he just feels stupid i i'm not going to fold to this small raise in the big blind every from the small blind so if you you know you got to do your research you gotta you gotta put in the hours i my uh my only horse here, I have one kid I back for like $6 tournaments. He's one of my friends, but he's at my house a lot. And he's just dumbfounded by how much time I spend studying and working with my guys and stuff like that. And if you want to get into this game, that's going to be, that's going to have to be you too. And mm. if you study tournaments though, and you keep hearing the same thing 20 different times, sit there and I'm not that bright of a guy like I really talk to a lot of poker players that obviously have a lot more natural talent and obviously are smarter people than me, but all they want to do is play poker. If you, you know, if you, if you sit down on your couch with, you know, your laptop open, if you, if you have laptop or just, you know, what I started with at the beginning, some bum $200 computer I put together from spare parts, watch the video and sit there with a notepad and go, how can I exploit this? You're going to find a way to do it. And ask yourself what each investment of yours needs to accomplish, you know, mathematically, and then what theoretically is actually happening. If you want some insight on this, you could contact me. We could talk about it privately, but also for free, because I know that's $150 an hour is not cheap. Uh, there's a article, damn it, I don't think it's out yet online. Follow my Twitter and my Facebook. I'll put it out. There's an article coming out called The Simple Adjustment. It's about little investments like this and you could also google it's called no limit for a reason bluff alex fitzgerald and it talks all about the mathematics of finding these simple investments in online poker that other people aren't making because it's not in vogue but it actually makes a lot of sense yeah i think that helped me when i got a couple of lessons with you as well you really sort of hammered home to me the sort of risk reward it is all just risk versus reward and yeah. The maths is quite, I mean, the maths, you know, I do come from a maths background with my economics, but the maths is very simple. If you've got a calculator there, even it's, it's literally one or two calculations and it's divide right. and multiplication. If you can divide and multiply, 
you can fiddle around with it yourself, you know, and then it sort of it starts to become a little bit more intuitive. Um, mm. So, yeah, we hope that answers his question. I would maybe just add that maybe if he's been used to playing live, like exclusively, uh, going to online, you do tend to sort of get, you know, called a lot. Like if you're shoving uh, 10 big blinds yeah, live. Yeah, yeah, that's a really if good you shove point. 10, if you shove 10 big blinds live, like the amount of folds you get is like ridiculous sometimes. If you do that online, I, you're especially in low stakes tournaments, uh, you're getting called really That's you know, a, you most know, of the time. You know what? Thank you. That's why you're such a great host, Barry. You're bringing up things that just kind of go over my head because sometimes I'm so up in the stuff I have to work on all day with regulars. But that's a big thing I noticed when I got online because I, when I was 15, I started playing home games uh, just around. And then when I was 18, I got online. It, the amazing thing was live when a guy's been playing one tournament for four hours that night, or he's been playing cash for five hours, if you shove the river, he's going to think about it. Even if it's just a tournament, even if it's a $20 tournament, if he's spent four hours, he's not going to just dust it off. Now this same guy has 10 other tournaments up and he can fire up another 20 that night in the next 45 minutes. If he so chooses that, and he's playing with monopoly money because it's a tournament, he's never going to fold the river. I have a thing with my students, even got going up to high stakes, just never bluff a river or go, go to river, you know, sort out on your holding manager history, change, you know, the type of hand you have, like ace high to like ace high or king high or like a nothing hand, go to bet the river, see how often it works. And literally we just look at a sea of red. It's like three times out of 20 it worked. And like mathematically it needed to work three times that or something akin to that the turn yeah. is really where you want to be doing most of your bluffing in uh in online tournaments yeah, yeah it seems that people just it's almost that spike calling mentality isn't mm -hmm. it? like i want to see it you know even if if even if they've got very little they just want to see your cards it's yeah like, they just it, yeah they're playing with monopoly money and they want to see your hand i mean and it's yeah. a, it's no even i i deal with this in one case i I, it, it's really weird like in the super tuesday i get value bets that really make no sense that i just i would probably never lead in a cash game because nobody would ever call me but it, and it would probably be better to check and see if somebody you know thinly value bets their third pair but in tournaments it just never happens they never ever thinly value bet the river as everybody's you know oh god forbid i get check jammed on and my tournament life is at stake but if you bet anything, they've got to see your hand. Because yeah. if they were really good at folding the river, they probably wouldn't be playing tournaments in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Okay, let's. The next question is from Vegas Negative on Twitter. Cool, man. And yeah, it was quite cool. This guy's actually emailed in an essay question. So, hey, you know what? You know, Hold on. I want to say something about my first answer at the beginning of this. I, I didn't say this, but you got. I love my wife. You got to really find someone you're stable with. I realize I sounded really wishy-washy at the beginning of this. That's not what I meant to say, but it's kind of, it's weird with poker players because they're all into the, like the virility of what you're doing and, you know, how could you settle down? But a lot of poker players I know who are married, Phil Hellmuth, Eric Seidel, are doing really well. So kids, you find a good girl, you treat her right. I, I don't know. There's all my friends is messing around with that. I didn't say that, but I love my wife and she's nearby. And I didn't say that at the beginning, 
Anyway, <laughs> let's continue. But no, I mean, I, I realized I sounded kind of wishy-washy and that's not really it. Like waking up next to somebody you actually really love beats the hell out of this. You know, everybody always talks about like tour life, like it's amazing. And it, like, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, it sucks ass after a while. Like you just feel sick all the time. You always have some kind of poison in you. And it's just like every time you go out, it's like, let's smoke weed. Let's drink. Let's fuck around. Let's do this, you know, and it's just kind of, hey, we got to work tomorrow, man. We got to, and it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's like fun when you're like 18, 19, but if you want to be in this game for like 20, 30 years, it's not going to be conducive to like, it, they, they've done studies where it's like drinking, it, it like affects you for the next week. And it's just, I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of people give me a lot of crap for getting off the tour or like. They, in my PCA broadcast, they're like, oh, he quit the tour. I didn't quit the tour. I could afford to be on the tour. I just don't feel like it. I like my home. I like waking up with the sunshine and my dog running around and drinking fresh coffee and talking to my wife and hugging her and kissing her and running around in the park versus waking up in fucking Dortmund, Germany at the, at 6 p.m., trying not to get hit by a train when I go for a run and find out that the only Chinese place that's open past 8, 8 p.m. in the city is on some Chinese holiday that I've never heard of. And now I don't get to eat till four in the morning when my last tournament finishes out. That's not the life I want to live anymore. Anyway, just continuing. Sorry. Got some some of my friends but say some things that really piss me off, really it's piss quite, me off. It's quite funny because even myself, like the last few months, I've been really sort of analyzing where I want to go, you know, with poker and stuff. And obviously I've got the site, you know, the podcast. I'm working on my book, which is, you know, more than halfway finished now. Oh, very cool. About, about all the interviews, you know, I've done and stuff. So it's not, it's in my interest to say, oh, poker's this, it's great and that, whatever. But I just can't do it because I feel that poker should never take a priority in anyone's life, even if you're a professional poker player. I just think there's so much more the life that you should sort of do, even if you're a pro, you know, right. I'd like, if someone said to me now, uh, here you go, here's, I can put something in your brain that will make you a Sean Deeb or a Chris Moorman, all right, <laughs> and, and you can play, and you can play 60 hours a week or whatever and crushing this, I wouldn't, I, it might sound great or whatever, but I just wouldn't want to do that every week right, for, right. for the next five, ten years, you know, mm-hmm. Um I just feel like, as I say, I do my other little bits and pieces and stuff. And I, I kind of, I love poker. I, I love the game. You know, I do these podcasts, been doing this for a few years now. And I, I do love the game, but I just don't think, um, I think people get really caught up in poker too much and then bang, five, six years passes. And, you know, yeah, what, it's like, what the hell happened, man? Yeah. And I think, I think the tragic thing is, is a lot of it's 17, 18, 19 year olds getting in. And the six, seven years that they're losing is their early 20s. Like, I'm glad I didn't get into poker until I was, how old was I? I think I was like 20, let me think. I think I was like 24 until I got into How poker. old are you? I'm 29. You look 12 in your Skype picture. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't smoke. It's, or... an older Skype, it's an older uh, Skype picture. But no, the Skype picture is maybe about... 2009 actually yeah, you don't sure. smoke cigarettes or anything right i uh, know i don't uh, smoke cigarettes. obviously that i used to binge drink that was it hey, but... good for you. wait 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 hold on a scotsman who binge drinks tell me more <laughs> but anyway sorry sorry i had to had to put it out there yeah i you know there was a when i was 18 to 19 and i was like you know you start in poker and you're hungry it is fun playing like 80 hours a week my life literally from like 18 to 19 
I moved to downtown Seattle. I lived in the suburbs and relative pro- poverty mo- uh, most of my life. It, my family had some money when I was younger, but then, you know, things didn't go that well. And we were on, you know, social security and food stamps and all that fun stuff. Couldn't afford my graduation gown at a uh, high school. That was cool. But, you know, and then I moved to the city and I had a little money and I was like, this is awesome. I get to go eat out any, anywhere I go. You know, I get to, and yeah. you know, I moved to Seattle where I moved to this one district in Seattle. That was you literally one time I counted walking down the street because I heard you could walk down New York in the thirties and you could hear 20 different languages. But one time I walked down this one block in Seattle and I heard nine different ones. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And you know, there was like independent movie theaters that played weird anime and weird foreign films. And there was all these, since it was near the university, there was all these weird and university of Washington's a really international university. There's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of weird food and really cheap there. And I mean, I just loved it. And I played 80 hours a week and, you know, my life was literally like wake up, jog, jog a little too much because that was my other addiction play poker for 12 hours, go to sleep, wake up. And then, and I loved it. But then like a year later, I realized I went to go get a coffee or something. Actually, I think I went to get a hot chocolate. I wasn't grown up enough yet for coffee at that point. But, (laughs) and like the woman behind the counter was just like a 45 year old lady. And she said something nice to me and some words came up to my mind, but I, I couldn't say them. It was weird. Like I didn't know how to talk to anyone. And I, I thought this was so weird, right? And then I, I said, okay, I, I need to get out more. So I signed up for some college classes just for fun in Seattle Central Community College. And I went there and I always was like the class clown, like really annoying kid in uh, high school. And uh, I, found, uh, I, I found that I couldn't like talk. I just like couldn't talk. It was weird because you you don't realize it, but you spend all day, every day, not talking, you're going to like lose the ability to do that. And yeah. it was, it was really a creepy, creepy time. And I didn't really, you know, and I was, I was hungry at that time and I didn't care where I was. And every day was so exciting and every final table was so insane. But I, I like, I didn't know how to live. And I, re- you know, I walked, I remember going home that day and like looking around, I was like, I had all these expensive things and like i'd moved from living in my buddy's garage where swat literally like hit our block like three times in a month and there was just you know and before that the place i lived somebody got gunned down in the street right outside move move from that to like this really really nice place in downtown seattle with like a rooftop barbecue and stuff overlooking the city and all that and i was like looking around at like my leather couches and like my thousands of dvds that i had and all my video game systems and my big screen tv and like my liquor cabinet with all these things i'm like i was like i haven't used any of this in a year i haven't used any of this i just got it because i i've seen it in movies my whole life and i've been told my whole life if i make a lot of money i'll be like really happy and the other thing was you lose the privilege of telling people that you're unhappy with your life because in america if you have money you should you, you should be happy because we all grew up with the idea that we were supposed to be rock stars and make a lot of money and you're special and everybody gets a trophy. And yet when you move into the workplace, you find out, oh, wow, there's too many damn people in this country. And that's why there's a you know, there's so there's so many people in this country competing for the same jobs that they can just pick and choose and lower your salary whenever they please and fire you right before your pension kicks in. 
And <laughs> so everybody's angry at you for making money. You don't know how to talk to anyone. And yeah, it really sucked. And that was why I like sold all my stuff in Seattle and like ran to South Korea because I was just like, I need to get out of my head. And to be honest with you, a big reason I went to South Korea is I was like, well, now no one's going to expect me to talk, you know, like yeah. nobody. And then it was really weird getting back into doing lessons because I had to talk a lot. Now you can tell I talk too much and my wife will tell <laughs> you I talk way, way too much. But like I, I couldn't in South Korea, it was like, you know, the people are kind of intense when they're sober. They don't talk as much. But you know, and then I had to learn a new language, but it was like a really weird process. And I don't, you know, I really love, I, I sat in front of my computer the last three days playing poker and I haven't, but it, like, it's a beautiful day outside. There's some, there's a place that literally looks like a section of central park, like maybe 10 blocks away from my house. It's like 10 minutes if I run there and I can take my dog there anytime and it costs like $1 to get in. And there's never anybody there because it's kind of in a weird place in Costa Rica. I haven't gone there once in the last mm -hmm. like two weeks. And, I, you know, there's a part of me that's just like, this is ridiculous. You know what I mean? And I love sitting in my office and playing MTTs. I still love MTTs. I don't, I, by all means, I should have moved to cash. I've played 510 regularly before, but MTT is just kind of light my fire a little more, but mm -hmm. it's, yeah, there's, you know, a lot of these guys, like I, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it, man. Like I, like I spent my early twenties at some point I was like, this is ridiculous. I need to get out and like meet people. So I just started blowing my money going to like every country I could and like trying to talk to people. And, and since there was a language barrier, when I was awkward, everybody expected it. So it, it kind of cushioned me and help me, yeah. help me talk to people. But a lot of guys I know are my age and they've done nothing, like just nothing. They've been to 30 different countries and seen nothing. The hotel yeah. room, the card room, and nothing. A re real big reason I love my wife is she's like, she's just commanding and like, you've been on the computer too much. Come on, we're going for a walk. You're gonna go for a run, get the dog. We're going out or we're going out for sushi tonight with our friends. You're. You know, because if I just stay here, I can stay reading my books all week. I'm just a nerd, really, like just a nerd who talks too much. That's really I'm amazed at how much love I get from the poker community because I really am just a dork in my mind. But she helps me be more social, makes me go out there and speak Spanish very, very poorly. And yeah, it's I mean, I, I think it's really good to have that balance in life. And you you have your. I hope you still have your girlfriend because I'm bringing it up. How long? Yeah. How long, how long? <laughs> no, she, I, she left me yesterday. <laughs> dude, the last two times I've done that, I was, my buddy was like getting married like a year ago. And I was like, hey, man, how, how's that marriage? You know, how, how's your girl, lucky guy? And he was like, yeah, she cheated on me three months ago. Everybody, <laughs> everybody found out. It was all over Twitter. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that's good. How's, how's the Mets? You know, yeah. like I didn't, you know, like how do you rebound from that? But yeah, how how long, yeah. how long you been with your girl? Uh, five years. Five years. And you like, you know, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of guys want to go out there, be on the tour, be, you know, young and whatever. But a lot of, a lot of times, like you go out to a poker tournament, it's just, you know, it's a big sausage fest. Everybody's angry at everybody. Everybody wants to make a lot of money. Even the guy who comes second place in that tournament hates his life. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's a, a big festival of unhappiness. And they never go out into the country. Sorry, go ahead. I'm cutting you off. So, 
Sorry, Alex. No, I was just saying it. I think we spoke about it. It's like when I went to Vegas last year for the World Series, and it was like such an anti-climax in terms of. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought, wow, that would be great. Like, we'll go there, you know, play this and that. And I looked around at people, and I didn't see many people smiling and enjoying themselves, you know. And I'm talking about people that are putting up five, ten thousand a time you know, for tournament buy-ins. I was just playing, you know, the daily $300. Right, right. And you're whatever. happy, you're happy. And right? I was happy and everyone's having it and you look and you sort of go, like, is this what you're aiming for? Is this the aspiration? You know, and That's, I yeah. just think, I think a lot of people need to really be like, it's not all ESPN lights and money on the table. It's like, the reality, as you say, is going to these places and you have just, the, the key is just, I think you can all cut it down to one word for balance, no matter how much poker you're playing or whatever. You need to have other interests because this game will just consume you and you oh. can be in your head so much and you become antisocial, you can put weight on, you know, all that. And don't get me wrong, I love poker. I think everybody should at least play poker once in their life to see if it's for them and enjoy it. But I think it takes a real, you know, type of person that can do this for a living, but at the same time maintain a healthy life that they'll look back on and think, yeah, I don't have any regrets, you know, there. But I think a lot of them can just find themselves grinding for grinding's sake. Ten years go by and they're like, you know, what's happening now sort of thing. Yeah, it's like, what, like what the hell happened? It, another thing that, remember what, Jack, I think, I, I don't know if Jack Welch said this to you, but the first thing he said when he got to the WSOP, he was like, he was really disappointed too because he was really hoping for lots of characters and stuff. And he's a hopeless romantic with this poker stuff. But mm -hmm. he goes in, he looks around. Oh, no, he was with me. But he goes in, looks around, looks at me, looks around, looks at me. And he goes, what is wrong with these people? I dress better in my living room than these yeah. people. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, man. But, yeah, I mean, it's weird because there's guys who love to play chess and – they go to a job every day, work for 10 hours at something they hate, and then come home and they get to play chess for two hours versus somebody for no money. And they're like, man, that was my peace and relaxation today. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a lot of people love to play golf, but they don't make a dollar at it or tennis or something. And you don't get to go outside with poker. But, you know, that I uh, I got my well, I think Sorry, go ahead. I think, there, I think there's a lot of people playing poker, maybe even for a living that don't really love poker. They're just playing yeah. it for money's sake yep. and for job's sake. And this is a, I, I mean, it's a shit job, really. I mean, yep. people say it's a great job and whatever. And obviously it's not digging holes uh, in the ground and it's not, you know, there are massively, you know, tougher jobs and stuff. But in terms of the emotional strain and swings that you go through, right. um, your health, it's antisocial, you know, you're tight if you're playing MTTs, that aren't, you know, like 180s or whatever, you could be at your computer for, you know, 8, 10 hours a day, can't get away from it sort of thing. Right. And, you know, there are, and obviously you can work for a whole month and not get paid like any aspect of poker. Mm. So it's a tough job. And I think if you don't really 100% love it, then it, it, you shouldn't do it for a job. Like anything, you know, you should only right. do something you really love. And I think there are more and more people these days attracted by the money and what they think is easy money. And it's not, it's far from it. But they're, they're finding themselves playing for a living. And that's why they go around with these sort of, you know, pissed off faces constantly and, and whatever. And you think, what's he got to be, you know, he's traveling this and that. But I just think that they're probably just unfulfilled, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you like, why, why hasn't it happened for me? Why hasn't? Yeah. And it's, 
I, I mean, going back, th- this is my favorite subject. We'll get to we'll get to questions. We get we can. The great thing about recording this show is it costs nothing, so we'll do a lot of this. And people love this stuff. I've gotten a lot of emails about this, but yeah, <laughs> damn it, I had a thought and I just kept going on. A lot of a lot of people, you know, there is a lot of safety in going to college. If your parents can afford to send you to college and you can get an education, that's not, that, that, that isn't something you should just guffaw at. Like so, so many kids write in me and it's like, I'm in college. I'm not that happy. And it's like, man, you're in your twenties with other people and college to me, I never went to college, but you, it doesn't seem that hard compared to what I do every day. I, I was hearing, uh, I was hearing a friend of mine talking about and then, uh, no, 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 I not a friend of mine. Uh, Adam Carolla was talking with his uh, uh, Dr. Drew, and he was talking about how Dr. Drew's kids get out for summer in, like, May. And mm-hmm. they go back to school in, like, October. And it's just, what? You know what I mean? And that's, that's a 60K a year college. It's like, yeah. really? I, I would love to just take off half the year. And another thing that, Uh, Dr. Drew was mentioning that he thought was nuts. He was going to speak that day. And obviously this is a guy who's been very successful in working in the field of medicine. Maybe people don't like how he's publicized his methods, but he's done pretty well. And they were telling him at a medical school, like, we're going to record it. And everybody's, you know, they they watch it when they can. And maybe like 80 people will show up. And I was, you know, I, I was thinking like, that's preposterous. You know what I mean? And a lot of, you know, it's really easy to do a lot of stuff relate. I don't know. It just seems to me like we just keep lowering the bar for a lot of things like education orientated. And then people come into poker and they expect it to be easier. It's like, this is the hardest way I know to make 20 K a year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could, I you know, I made 25 K a year doing absolutely nothing as a security guard. I sat around all day and read books and got paid to do it. But if you want to, the most stressful 20 K you'll ever make in your life is through poker. And if you want to look at poker different, it's something like in most first world countries, it's between one in 24 or one in 40 people as a millionaire. How many, how, how many people in poker are millionaires? Do you really think? Yeah. Maybe one out of, God, I don't even know. It might even be as high as one out of a thousand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Maybe it's a good way to make like 60, 70 K, but the most miserable you'll ever be in your life is when I think this is another source of where their misery comes from is they think po- humans are such a habit of pattern and everything I work against in my work, everything I love to exploit is people in these patterns, in these set ways of thinking, in the same guys that go, I had a guy go, what you do is so legit terrible. I have no idea how you make money at poker. Somebody wrote that to me yesterday, right? Or the people <laughs> that, there's a guy, I'm gonna, I think Pisagno is one of the best players out there. And people think I'm nuts when I say that. I think Phil Hellmuth is one of the best players out there. And people think I'm nuts when I say that. But mm-hmm. I hate Phil Hellmuth as a human being. I hate that he's taken back American poker 20 years every time he opens his mouth. But if you look at it from a mathematical perspective, if you're like me and work on poker three, four hours almost every morning, you realize this guy is a 
genius. And I said some bad words in the show, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stick away from it. I'm trying to be a good Christian boy now better. Yeah. But any, <laughs> anyway, but like, there's a lot of, but people just get up in their head and they're like, I want to be like this guy. Cause this guy's cool. And this guy plays like me. And mm-hmm. they, everybody's into this like rejam, unexploitable shove, you know, 20 big blinds. There's a set way to play 30 big blinds. There's a set way to play. We all watch the same training videos. We are, we're all in the same forums. We all think of the same things. And I don't agree with any of it. Like I just, a lot of this, I'm like, you tell me this, but prove it to me. You know what I mean? And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of times I was, I was doing, I was doing a lecture for a backing stable. And most of these guys play 10 K's for a living. Right. And there was, uh-huh. you know, a lot, a lot of these guys are bigger names than me, right? And they kind of felt like they were forced to be there by their backers. But their backers are cool people and we've worked before, right? Mm-hmm. And the first – and I showed them a move and they just – everybody was like just howling. Like this is terrible. I can't believe this. Like I can't believe you brought this guy in here and stuff like that. And I was like, why is it terrible? And he was like, it's unprofitable. I was like, 5K right now if you can, if you can prove it. Five, mm-hmm. 5K. On the table, everybody. Sh- this is what I love about poker. You can always do that, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no. If you're sure, put put five thousand down on it. You know, and then, yeah. then I said you put down literally hundreds of thousands every year on that assumption, and there's a guy challenging it, and you won't put five k up because you can't prove it. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. Everybody wants to follow the herd, and when they follow the herd, they expect to be the leader. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. They expect yeah. they uh, everybody expects to be Benny Spindler. I seven bet King Jack. What the hell? Like mm-hmm. I should I should have won a tournament by now. I should. It's not that easy. Like poker is really hard. That's what I love about it. I suck half the time I play. I get my ass handed to me so many different days. That's what you have to learn to love. And if you're making money at this game, you're like. I think only two percent of people actually make money at poker. They did. Didn't they do something like that? Like some site release, like 98% of people, no, it's like 96% of people lose money on their site, 2% break even, 2% make yeah. money. And th- mm-hmm. then it's like one twentieth of that 2% make a lot of money. And I tell, mm-hmm. you know, my horse gets bummed out all the time because he's just learning all this stuff and it's new. And like, you know, a lot of his stuff, I'm pretty sure his old backer would go, what is wrong with you if he saw what he was doing? But I'm like, dude, you he almost final tabled seven different tournaments the last time I watched him play. He breaks even half the time he plays. And he's just like, God, I can't win anything. I'm like, dude, like, do you know how few people break even on an MTT session three days in a row? But yeah. when people break even, that's just, it's not the expectation. They expect to win. Okay, I've waxed poetic about this long enough. But it's, I don't know, it's amazing to me because this is the easiest, it's not easy, but it's a fun job if you enjoy studying. It's a fun job if you enjoy beating other people with your mind doing stuff that's weird and being told you're horrible i love being told i'm horrible yesterday i did a play like four or five times and i realized it was with a bunch of regs and i have a way i usually play this play but i just i was like i should do a really light call here so everybody just thinks i'm an idiot and i don't even think it's that bad right now right and i did the Mm -hmm. light call i turned out to be right and i won the hand and but Everybody, if they see one weird hand from you, they just just that doesn't fit into their way of thinking about poker. You know, thanks for the rest of their life. You must be terrible at poker because I don't know. uh, Michael Phelps never jumps into the pool and doesn't know which way to stroke. 
there's a set way to do it. He's just a better physical specimen than you, and that's why he'll always be better with, than you. Poker isn't like that. You know what I mean? And it's just mm-hmm. there. there's so many different ways to do things, and you just have to be fine with looking goofy, making fun of yourself. Always, always tell people I'm terrible. I'm just pushing buttons. Don't worry about it. Don't get. But the second you get to like, hey, man, I'm I'm a good grinder. People respect me. I have I have an easy time getting back and people put me in big events. I know how to play and they never continue learning because they've already done it. What's the point of continuing to learn? They're already an all star. Everybody gets a trophy. You know, (laughs) that's when and this is what I love about poker. It kicks them in the ass. There's no my dad's the boss. This guy like me. I'm a better looking person. So this boss put me up. No, poker kicks your ass out the door. And most and all these kids get so upset when some guy they think is really bad wins a tournament. Talk to those people in four years and count how many people on one hand kept the money. And if they did keep the money, pat them on the back because that's one of the smartest people you'll ever meet in your life. These people don't buy houses. They don't do anything. They just play every WPT they can and they go broke. It's weird. Yeah. It's a joke. I, I don't know. And I drank too much coffee today. My bad, Barry. My bad. But anyway. No, it's, it's crazy. It's it's fascinating. It's just the reality, isn't it? You know, it's, it is the, it is reality. the reality. It is the reality. Are we going to do more questions or are we going to wrap this up in an hour? Uh, questions. We'll awesome. do a couple more from the same guy. Excellent. So, Excellent. Yeah. I'm down. Biggest negative on Twitter. Yeah, on you go. Uh, I'm down for doing this longer than an hour. I'm just letting you know. I have the energy. Yeah, if, if, if we go over the hour, it's, it's cool. I mean, uh, I think people are, you know, will enjoy it and they'll get something from it. And, and if not, you know, it's free. So there's <laughs> yeah. more. There's no refunds on free. <laughs> yeah, no, no complaining at the free. No complaining about the music at the free concert. That's it. Okay, so we'll go through a sort of quick question on this one. The guy uh, messaged in and he was saying he enjoyed our last podcast. Um, so thanks for that. And you were talking about not being very successful in the Sunday majors until you had the right bankroll to play them. Mm-hmm. And he is asking, is it not worth taking shots? Uh, you know because he feels that an adequate bankroll for the Sunday majors would need to be pretty substantial because of the fields are bigger, bigger buyings, etc. Um, do you think it's a good idea to have a separate bankroll for Sundays just for shots? Well, I, I, I think this is how you should divide. I, I, I was very fortunate at the beginning of my career. I talked to one of, there's maybe like three or five people in the United States who make a significant amount of money betting horses. And these are guys that know about you know, this lay of the track affects this kind of hoof this much. And, you know, this guy's using steroids and he tends to use steroids on a Tuesday and blah, blah, blah. And this guy does really good. But he tells me, he told me he's like 80% of my bets. I mean, this guy lives in, I mean, this guy lives in the Hamptons essentially. And, you know, but he's like 80% of my bets are so small. You would laugh, you know what I mean? And another 15%, you know, are pretty big. You know, like they're bigger shots. And then there's like 5% I just swing for the fences. That's my enjoyment. And that keeps me going for the 80% bread and butter. Now, if you're playing MTTs for a living, your bread and butter is going to have to be take the lowest stakes you think you can play and play one step lower. And that'll probably be your lowest limit. And there's, and if you can take joy out of playing a little lower than you would normally play, you're probably going to make a lot of money. But you should, at the end of every month, take 5% would be the maximum and say, this is my enjoyment. This is my, you know, this is my 
this is my this is for me this is my swing for the fences budget this is uh when i was like 19 and playing like 20 dollar 50 dollar tournaments for a living i got to do uh a uh, a bunch of APPT events because at the end of the month I would just take 5% of what I made that month and I'd put it on satellites. Now take your shot very seriously. So like if you, you know, you get like a hundred dollars profit, play a bunch of $10 sats. And then if you get in there, you know, the money expect to lose this money anyway, but go into the event saying like feeling like a friend bought you into this tournament. This money is already gone. But if you go in and you don't know where the end is, and if you say like, okay, this is the third week in a row I've taken this shot and I don't feel good about it, my horse, I, I let my like $6 horse, I, I'm like, play the Sunday Million. You should play this. He's good enough to play the Sunday Million. That's the only major he can play every week, right? And, you know, I, I told him play the, I let him play the Sunday Million every time when he started. And instead of making it like something he's always thinking about and resenting that he doesn't get to play, he finds out really quickly, like, holy crap, this throws my makeup all over the place. And he's like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to play this unless I'm feeling really good. You know, and I, I was like, that is a really professional impulse. That's good. You know, when you're doing really well, you know, maybe you can take that money out ahead of early, you know, early in the month. And maybe once you get a little more comfortable, you know, I make X amount of money. I, I've been making X amount of money. It's been kind of stable. Maybe I'll take a shot because this week is going really well. But until then, if you just kind of cap it at 5% of what you make, or if you can resupply money in your bankroll really quickly, uh, you you can make it like 10% or something. Mm -hmm. I, I know some people even go high as like 20%. If you have like a really high paying job, but you'd like to get out of it and play poker for a living, or like you have a decent paying job, but if you could stay home with the kids and play poker, you'd really enjoy it. But you could, you know, like you have a bankroll of like 4,000 and you could like, you could refill it within like a couple months if you were to bust all of it, then maybe like 10, 20% of your profit each month you could put into like swinging for the fences. But once you get a big bankroll, that's, you need to protect a big bankroll way more than a small one which a lot of people find counterintuitive. This is something Mike Carroll wrote about I thought was really interesting. And I read this article after I blew the biggest bankroll I ever had in my life, like literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands down to zero. And he said, you know, you think when you get a big bankroll, you can shot take and everything's going to be okay because even if you lose half of it, it's still a huge bankroll, but it's gonna, it could take you years to get back to where you were. Whereas with a small bankroll, if you could resupply it within a month or two, it's not that big of a time investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's what people think about, you know, if they try and protect, maybe play a little too overcautious with a small account mm -hmm. um, when they could maybe take shots. And as you say, re as, lo as long as you can replenish it, you know, anything below like $1,000 or whatever is you should maybe be taking like, a little bit more on the aggressive side. Um, but once you hit that sort of, you know, a few thousand, then it's really, if you can't just basically deposit it, you know, the next month, then you need to, like, look at protecting it, you know, even from right. a personal point of view. So, yeah, we'll deal with another question. Uh, where are we here? Okay. Um, what is, what, sorry, what is Alex's thoughts on ICM? Um, he's struggling to understand the concepts. He feels that he's sort of, you know, he's had a look at it. And I'm just trying to 
decipher his email. Basically, what's your thoughts on ICM? He's struggling with some concepts of it, and he doesn't really feel like he has it down. And how important do you think it is? Well, the first thing to realize about ICM is think of all the guys who talk about it constantly within forums and all that. Now, try to remember their scores. Most of them usually don't have that many. That's not a knock on many of them. It's just... Uh, and I, I, I find a lot of guys that harp on ICM a lot don't seem to understand it much themselves. Because uh, I, I was at the same point this guy was at a couple years ago. And I, I said, you know, I don't know anything about ICM. And I, you know, I got all back when I did used to talk to a lot of people that perhaps maybe I, I weren't the best people to consult me in my poker playing. I go, oh, that was an ICM disaster. How could you think of doing that? And I just... <laughs> You know, I said, I, I need to learn about this. And I started asking people a bunch of questions and I got different answers across the board and not as much conclusive, I, not as much conclusive, not as many conclusive responses as I would hope for. But then I found a few guys that really knew what they were talking about. And I realized they were way smarter than me. So I took these really basic lessons out of it and I just won this WSOP package and a few of my friends were watching me and they were like, you manipulate stacks in these, in these tournaments like really well. And I, I'm like, to be honest with you, I feel like an infant with, you know, multi-table sats and stuff like that. But he, here's the big things you, you should get out of ICM. First thing is your stack has some worth in a tournament and you can find this out with ICM calculators. You know, you enter in what the payouts are, stuff like that. And there will be sometimes, uh, I hate stalling, but I stalled on the bubble of the WCOOP main event because I had 13 big blinds, which was worth mm -hmm. like, I think it was like $3,800 or something. And a min cash was $12,000. So not playing as many hands as other people and banking on a few people that are shorter stack than you going broke could result in a $9,000 plus if you play it right. And I was, I was always the guy that never cared about the bubble and always busted on the bubble and said, who cares? And once mm -hmm. I started paying attention to this and just saying, you know, and the big lesson you should come out of this is if you're going to, if you're going to raise, don't raise call with a hand that could be cracked really easily. Like if you have like ace queen and 17 big blinds and you're on this bubble, maybe you should just shove. Because mm -hmm. if somebody rejams 6-4 suited, you're not going, yes, you're, you're in a 60-40 to lose 9K that you could have wrapped up if you maybe stayed in the game another 10 hands. So I just started shoving more on the bubble and suddenly all these like negative 4K, 3K, MTT sessions turned into negative 2K and 1K days because just all these min caches stacked up on mm -hmm. top of each other. Now, you're losing a little bit of chip EV when you just, instead of race calling there and letting weaker aces to jam into you, but you're making more money because your stack is worth a certain amount and you're going to get paid a different amount. Now, consequently, let's, let's change the situation and you're not short stack on the bubble. You're a big stack at the final table. And there's another big stack. And there's a bunch of little stacks. And first place is a pretty big amount. Second place is a pretty big amount. And there's a pretty big drop-off between first and fifth. Now, 
most of the time, if you and this guy don't get into a pissing for distance contest, you're guaranteed about at least third and probably second, which so that money is more or less locked up. When you two get all in with like queens to ace king, you it's it's the equivalent of you like walking around and just paying everybody at the table like, hey, here's one hundred dollars. Here's one hundred dollars. Here's one hundred dollars. Now let's flip you. You mm-hmm. you and the big stat have just spewed money to everybody at the table. Everybody before anything happens. Now, what this means is you shoving in on the guy is more effective. This is how Little Hold'em made a ton of money in 2008, 2009, because he didn't care about ICM. He didn't know anything about ICM, and he just kept jamming on everybody with the big stack. And people kind of intuitively got, oh, man, I don't want to go broke. And they just kind of passed, because uh, Americans grew up with, like, Phil Hellmuth and guys, like, preserving their stack. Once the Euros came in, they kind of gave less of a shit, and that, <laughs> kind, that kind of went away. But if you... Getting shoving on the guy is pretty effective because if he calls and wins, his chance of winning the tournament goes up considerably. But his stack, how much his stack is worth, how much he loses dollar wise for when he loses his stack is nowhere near as equal to what he's winning. So calling there is very dubious. And this goes in multi-table sats as well. When I have like 28 big blinds and let's say I have like, I, I have anything decent. If I'm deep in, let's say there's like 21 people left and 17 people get a stack. I mean, get a buy into this tournament and me and this other guy are like top 10 in chips. He, you can, instead of like three betting huge looking like i mean three betting small and making it look like you you might want him to jam or you're taking a cheap shot at him just three bet bigger and go hey all your chips and now if he gets it all in his chance of like winning a seat just went from like 92 percent to 94 percent which isn't really that much but if he gets it all in and loses it there's just he just pretty much lost the buy-in because he pretty much had it anyway. So anytime those guys are opening, which is actually really popular now, it used to be back in the day that multi uh, satellites. Uh, what do you call? What do you call it when you there's multiple packages for a satellite? There, uh, there is not, there, um, There's another nerd word for it, right? I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, yeah. You've put, you've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. A, a super satellite. No? Super or, sat, yeah, super sat. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't play many of them, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much the strat I do is I just and if I have like a king, uh, ace king with 28 big blinds and a guy opens, I'm not three back calling to get him to jam eights. So I'm just going to shove in that mm-hmm. spot because the second we get all in, it's like, great. If I win, I get close to nothing. If I lose, there goes my seat and stuff like that. But the big thing is getting it all in with the other big stack at the table is usually pretty it at a final table when a bunch of there's a lot of lower stacks calling off there usually you're risking way much more than you're going to gain so you better be really sure you're ahead and very far ahead and mm-hmm. if you have like ace king in that spot i had a spot one of my students was he he's just learning about poker this chilean kid but he had ace king and he was like normally i would make a very small raise here so he thought he had jam equity but i was so worried 
at this final table that we'd get it all in and just flip and give money to everybody else. So I just jammed Ace King uh, mm -hmm. for it was like the guy opened for three X in the small blind. He made it seven point five X. The other guy made it fifteen X. And he had like 70 big blinds and he just jammed. He didn't like milk it again. And yeah. I was like, that was genius because this guy is the kind of guy who would have jammed six, five suited. And then, you know, like, of course you're happy to have that like chip EV, but now it's kind of equaled out. And if the guy mm -hmm. has like fours and he jams, it's a disaster because there's no yeah. way he would have called off. And the min caching thing has actually really done a lot for my bottom line. But to be honest with you, I think I'm pretty bad at ICM. Like, and I still like do things that my buddies who like play sit and goes for a living are like, Alex, what the hell? But <laughs> those basic things have really helped me kind of stay out of trouble and make a little more money. Yeah. Uh, that's really informative and it's good to hear somebody, you know, that's had sort of your success sort of admit, you know, the, the situation with ICM. Cause like you say, I know a lot of people that, ICM this, ICM that, and how much of it do they really know? And a lot of people look to justify stuff with, with the math and plays. But when, like you say, like put five k down and prove this or whatever, they they can't do yeah, it. Yeah, it's just, no, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and you can do like you know if you definitively prove it to me, I'll pay you for the hour. I've said that a lot of times. Like, I'm like I don't care if it takes ten minutes or fifteen or two hours. I mean. If it costs, if it takes two hours, I'll pay you for two hours. But if you explain this to me in 10 minutes and I get it for the rest of my life, I'll pay you for an hour or something like that. I've said that to, I can't tell you how many people and it just turns into, uh, well, okay, let me try to explain it to you. And then I, you know, I ask a few more questions and it's just, it kind of, I'm not getting a clear picture and it's kind of clear to, and this is a great part about teaching is you get called out. And when you get called out and you don't know, you you really, you know, you need to find out pretty quickly. I just had, I just did, I did all these reports for this Russian stable and I was uh, sending them all the theory behind all my plays and they had crazy questions because they were, I think they were chess masters before poker and I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> like, okay, we're going <laughs> to, yeah. we're going to have to work on that. Well, what do you think? You tell me what you think first and then I'll tell you what I think. But yeah. And yeah. anyhow, what's the next question? Uh, okay. The last question is something we've touched on before. Um, maybe not in the ask Alex ones, maybe a previous podcast, but I think it's worth raising again. It's from neg Vegas negative on Twitter again. Um, and it's the differences between playing with 40 bigs, and a 20 to 30 big blind stack. He feels really comfortable when he's got 40, but he feels that he's maybe a bit too exploitable when he's playing with 20 to 30 big blinds. He's more sort of jamming or, you know, re-jamming, and he just feels a bit exploitable. So mm. basically the differences between 40 big blinds and over and, say, like 20 to 25 big blinds. Well, and uh, you can exact leverage with 20 big blind stacks and 30 big blind stacks, you just, I'm going to give, I'm going to, this is something I could write a two hour thing on. I, I could, I mean, I could, <laughs> I could write a two hour thing. I, I could talk about two hours. I could write a book on, but there, there's no, here's the first thing I'm going to say. There's no law that says you have to jam or fold at certain stacks. That is commonly accepted wisdom. Ask yourself how much you really know about that. Compare the profitability between two 
types of plays. Maybe a play is very dated, but see what, you know, if it's profitable or not. There's a lot of times people think, there's a lot of times it looks weaker to jam 16 big blinds than it does to min raise. So why would you risk 16x when you can risk 2x? Yeah. And there's also many times that a very small raise looks, re-raise looks very scary given the stack sizes, but actually only needs to work 45% of the time. Ask yourself why you don't take advantage of that. And there's a lot of times people, it's funny because in the higher stakes, I feel, I hear people saying, from 40 big blinds, I have a lot of troubles because now if I three bet, people can four bet fold. Well, three bet bigger. So if they four bet, they still have to jam. And people, and also there's another thing that everybody thinks it needs to be pre-flop. You're allowed to play flops. There's, mm-hmm. you know, I Z Justin will flat a min raise from 8x and then check fold the flop. Pasagno will do the same. Now one is probably is this, I don't think he's from the streets, but I call him a street smart kid from Brazil because he just seems to do whatever the hell he feels like, come, come whatever may. And mm-hmm. the other one is probably the most like book smart poker player in the world. Now, if they've both landed on the same play and they're from vastly different backgrounds, why is that? And then ask yourself, if Z Justin flats from 8X and you don't ever flat from 19X, why is that? And is it because you're unprepared for a flop? Well, this is your profession, correct? Become prepared for the flop. Buy a tool. I've looked at ten, probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of flops now on Flopzilla and compared what his range has done on the flop, what my range has done on the flop, what possible actions I could take. And if you start working through all of this, and it takes a lot of time, and it's much less exhilarating than playing poker and playing final tables every day. But if you work through all of this, poker is going to become more like a drug to you because your feeling of power over the other players, your feeling of you're going to feel less vulnerable and more as if you are exploiting others and you will start making more money. That is an incredible feeling when you play poker. That is really enjoyable. That is my piece in a really weird way. That is what I work toward. And if you... If you want to see specific examples, if you want to really get into it, you're going to have to talk to me privately because this is way, that's a great question, but that's like way, that's like, how do I play tournament poker? Because yeah. those, <laughs> those are your stack sizes all the time, 40 to 20 yeah. max, you know what I mean? So you got you're going to have to talk to me privately if you want to get into the nitty gritty. There was another question and I think you've answered it throughout this podcast. It was, how much time does Alex spend studying? And I mean, I think it's evident from, you know, you said three, three, four hours a day sometimes and well, just the way you talk about the game, you know, I think. Let's be let's be fair. A lot of my studying is my students pay me to wake my ass up early and start talking to them about poker. So like 90% of it is like retreading on things yeah. I already know. But it, it's amazing. Even if you, you're saying it for the 50th time, like I, th- there's... It's weird. Like my my wife has questions about poker that are just brilliant, and like no poker players ever ask me because they're male and they've watched poker growing up and they don't think about it that way, right? And this Costa Rican kid who knows nothing about poker asks things I would never think about, and then you know a Chinese kid will ask this thing because he thinks this way, or a guy from Denmark will ask this thing, and just 
even going over the same things again and again with different people will teach you a lot. But yeah, I'll, it's not like three, four hours. I have like 200 poker books on my Kindle right now, and I've gone through exactly one and a half of them after, mm-hmm. you know, if maybe a month. So I'm obviously not working as hard as I could. And I, I don't watch typical training videos. I, this is going to sound very arrogant, but I, not arrogant. I just don't get a lot from them. And I feel like a lot of pros are hiding what they really feel. And that feels very disingenuous. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very like, yeah. And it, I feel cheated and like I've wasted my time. I've lost count of how many really good pros I've been excited to watch the video. And then 20 minutes in, I'm just, you know, this, this mm-hmm. guy's not going to say a thing. So it, it is, yeah, you have to do a lot of your own research, talking with your friends, talking with people. The other thing is you got to study stuff outside of poker. My friend, the horse better, sent me a ton of business books when I was like 18 or 19. I read them and I said, oh, this is interesting. But I just revisited them the last year and I was like, this is everything Phil Helmuth does. This is yeah. how he <laughs> final tables one tournament out of 20. Like, mm-hmm. I get it now. It all makes so much sense. This is what Eric Seidel does. This is what Phil Ivey does. Because you think about it, Phil Ivey, quite a different person and player than Phil Helmuth. But do you ever see Phil Ivey getting into the three, four bet, five bet wars? Ever? Yeah. <laughs> ever? Why, why is that? Go to, if you got Pocket Five's training, I, I know you plug another side, but I got to plug my own as well. But both are great. I came up on PXF. I contribute to Pocketfy's training now. Uh, the first video in my WCOOP uh, Second Chance Chop series, I went over a lot of the theory I've kind of taken from the business world. And a lot of people have written in going, oh, my God, tournament poker makes so much more sense now. And I got to let you know, that's like, that's just me wording it. And I, I, I'm a much better writer than I am a talker. And it's kind of wayward the way it comes out. If you actually get into the books... Uh, your money in your brain is a fantastic one. How we decide is a great one. Oh God, there's another one. Gonna uh, fooled by randomness is fan- yeah, that's good. fantastic. And there's uh-huh. there's a few more about specifically how people invest and you know how how it affects them. The but it, about running a business, I give kind of the very basic model at the beginning, and just from that you can probably go find related books that will word it much more effectively. Oh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a essay comparing Enron to Procter and Gamble. And that, that might've illuminated tournament poker more to me than mm-hmm. any poker book ever has. And the, Oh God, what was it? What was the other? I said that to you before about like a trading book I read. It was uh, right, right. Remin- reminiscence of a stock operator. It's all about, um, you know, trading in the stock market, but it's all about stop losses, money management, risk mm-hmm. and the risk reward, uh, small bets, you know, this and that. And it can be applied to everything, you know, and, and likewise, poker strategy can be uh, applied to business and trading as well. Yeah, and it's funny because poker's been around, like, it's been a profession for people, what, for six, seven, no, 10 years. And yet trading and business has been around since the beginning of time. And yet, how many poker players look to the business world to get insight into poker? You know, Mm -hmm. it's really nice. I always hear like, how many times have you heard a guy on ESPN? I'm a psychologist. I bring that to the table. And you, every time the second question is who the hell is this guy? You know, you never go like, Oh yeah, I know him. 
No, mm -hmm. there, there's not many people that come from the psychology world that seem to do that well. And even in the other question I always have is for what's his name? Joe Navarro, the guy who can read people's souls just by yeah. their, their face twitches. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, it, it's just, you know, like, well, why don't you use it? If it's so damn profitable, why do I have to pay you to learn about it? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it, maybe it's because that stuff it isn't as applicable if you don't have the business sense behind it. And there was, uh, what was it technical knockout uh, article I wrote for Pocket Fives was about. It's kind of like just at the beginning of what when it's kind of the beginning thought process I had when I started getting into this. And the other one was called Optimal Isn't Being Solely Profitable on for Bluff Magazine, and. Uh, yeah, you can Google those and it'll kind of give you the framework. And it, since it's only, I only get a page or two, I kind of just give the framework the beginning and then you can, you know, you can go further on your own or, uh, yeah, you can come see me. Well, that's lots of information for people to, you know, go out and as you say, research on their own, which is always the best way. The only way it really, really sinks in when you do your own research. Um, so yeah, don't forget to check out Alex if you want, um, private coaching assassinatocoaching at gmail.com and check out pokerxfactor.com which is the poker training video site I plug and use one outer seven zero to get $70 off and uh, we'll see you back for the next episode. Take care everyone. Keep grinding.